Hey there, you got Jeff. I've got about 15 seconds before my dog barks again, so I'll make this quick. If you're looking to connect with other customer success leaders who are trying to operationalize customer success in their companies, come over to gaingrowretain.com and join now. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Gain, Grow, Retain. For today, we've got a duo coming to the stage. We've got Gail and Bruce Montgomery from an organization called Experience Yes. We had the opportunity to meet them out at CamCon, which is a conference that CAPTA put on. And we think they have a really unique perspective uh, on bringing improv and improvisation into the software arena um, and really just into organizations in general, but trying to make sure that people who have customer-facing roles are really uh, thinking on their feet, that they understand some of the qualities of improv that really can improve their customer relationships and really improve their outcomes that they're looking to achieve. So uh, we really had a fun opportunity here and got a a couple of laughs in, but enjoyed the time that we got to spend with uh, Gail and Bruce. So enjoy. Welcome to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. Hey, everybody. We're really excited today to have Gail and Bruce Montgomery of a company called Experience Yes. Uh, And what they do, I'm going to try to explain it and then I'm going to let them explain it. But what they do is provide, uh, they're basically improvisation experts. And um, so they work with businesses to leverage improv techniques so that leaders and teams can get better at what they do. Um, so how did I do there, guys? That's actually Ooh, pretty good. Nice. I'm good job. I think it's always helpful to have other people talk about what you do. So A, you can see if it's right. And B, you could get new ideas for how to message yourself. Uh-huh. Thanks for that elevator speech. So wait, are you asking for a consulting fee on top of this? Is that, like, is that what you're doing? Well, you know, <laughs> pro bono on this one for sure. Well, thanks for, thanks for your time, guys. We're really excited to have you. We met at the uh, CamCon conference, which is a, a company called CAPTA puts that on. So Alex Raymond and his team. And um, I, I was really excited to meet you guys and listen to your uh, your session on on incorporating improv, and one of the things that that we we talked about, or that you talked about in that session, uh, and I know it's part of your book as well, is the four rules of improv. Yep. So maybe give us some overview of of the four rules and and how you uh, work with teams to apply those those four rules. And there's probably some questions we'll have for you as we go along, but it's really interesting stuff. I'm going to let Bruce speak to the four rules, but uh, this is Gail Montgomery, by the way. Uh, I want to say, though, there's so many little minor rules in improv. For us, though, we kind of distill it to these four that are the most impactful, Mm -hmm. that we feel that if you know these rules, you can slip into any team and and perform well. So I'm going to let Bruce kind of kick it off. Sure. So So, uh, Bruce Montgomery, uh, president of Experience Yes. um, Ooh, title. I know, right? Wow. (laughs) Right. I'm the CEO. Yes, We're so, a female-owned business. Um, oh, sorry. Done talking. You're my boss uh, in, in many ways. Yes, we are married. And yes, we remain married, even though we do this together. Um, so the four rules of, of improv really are that we focus on are yes and, listen, trust your instincts, and support your teammates at all costs. So it's this concept, if you think about the way that the brain works and, and how it assesses risk and looks, looks at risk, what we love about improvisation is 
uh, improvisers have a way to to dampen or, or or kind of lessen the power of a specific part of their brain called the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex or DLPFC. It is the, the thing in your brain that's responsible for, for risk assessment, for long-term planning, for regulation. It's a really, really powerful part of the brain that doesn't that doesn't develop in adults until well in, in men, you know, 25 to 27 and women kind of 23 to 25. Yes, that's right, ladies. It's us <laughs> earlier. Yes. And and just hashtag nerd alert right now. Not that I don't care about the brain. I just think my husband geeks out a little bit more um, than I do. So. I read a lot of study. Yeah, and I, I spend a lot of time just reading um, really, really esoteric uh, uh, research papers. Esoteric. It's really great. Um, Super sexy. So, so uh, improvisers practice. It's called transient hypofrontality or, or the process of suppressing that part of your brain. Improvisers practice suppressing it so that they're more open to uh, to new ideas, to new concepts, and to, uh, to taking a risk. Now, if you take that and apply those four rules and go, okay, great, let's practice these in a business context, then you have the ability of, of entering into this entrepreneurial or, or innovation or what we're calling an improv mindset, this, this ability to get out, be agile, uh, think of new things and 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 really pivot on a dime as fast as possible. We also have to say, you know, you mentioned listen, Bruce, as one of our rules, and it really goes beyond the typical listening piece into listening with intent to serve. Mm -hmm. So kind of shifts it from, yeah, yeah, I hear what you say, and into more of I'm here and I'm at your service. What is it that you need and how can I solve this problem with you? How can I, you know, build upon what you need? How can I work with you better? Um, so I think that's super yeah. important to keep in mind. Yeah, you guys, when you introduced that concept at CamCon, you sort of threw down a challenge with it that said, when somebody finishes speaking, you should give them three to five seconds before you begin to speak. Mm -hmm. and that's really hard to do. <laughs> yes, most of the time we listen to to hear ourselves speak, right? So that's, uh, are you trying to do it? One? I was going to try to do it. I was counting. I was counting. And now so, I can't. No, I know I, I you're can't. Still talking. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Bruce is right. We listen with this intent to respond as opposed to to serve them. And it's, it's difficult for us to just hold back, right? Right. And and let things settle. And honestly, it kind of has to me a twofold benefit. One is that the other person I think believes truly that you're there and you're present. And then on the flip side, for you as a listener, you have an opportunity to process what was being said. So that even dives deeper into emotional intelligence where depending on what they're saying and how that's impacting you, you, you can be using that time for self-awareness, right? And, and just really digging in to say, hmm, am I, am I hearing what I think I'm hearing? And then it gives you a chance maybe even to reflect back or clarify what you, what you thought you heard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I know, I'm not going to wait five seconds. Um, I'm just going to jump right in there. It, <laughs> it is an it. interesting mechanic. Uh, I, I, what I find, at least in my experience, you know, working as a, as a key account director and, and working with clients is we often want a solution before we fully understand the problem. And the more that we can let people talk about their problem, uh, the more likely we're going to really get a sense of what's going on and, and what, what is the best way to solve it, as opposed to just solutioning straight up front. Now, we actually have this cool experiential game that we do in sessions that's uh, a part of a, of a kind of a kids group called the Tall Tower Game, and mm -hmm. you can look it up online. And it's basically putting a bunch of 
kind of random things in front of a team. They can't touch it for several minutes and then they need to build the tallest tower when we tell them it's time to build. Well, in the time, have look at and investigate, talk about the things that they're seeing that's typically the most frustrating part for them. They wanna start building it right away. And they don't necessarily know how heavy something is or how it might be used or the versatility of the object. Um, and that's, that's kind of a neat indication as to what Bruce just said in mm -hmm. terms of really fully understanding what you're dealing with. Very, very yeah, go ahead, Jeff, sorry. It's interesting what you were talking about earlier too, because I always think about the the uh, silence that you were talking about between when somebody's speaking and how you're actively listening too, is that awkward silence that no one ever really likes for some reason. And I think over time, that's something that I've certainly had to be comfortable with in my career. And just even in uh, personal situations, I've, mm -hmm. I've found myself now actually adopting some of the things that I'm using in business to go into a, you know, walk into a room with friends and just be able to be okay with like the silence for an awkward period of time. But I'm curious, how do you, you know, the, the three to five seconds and kind of the listening, the, the aspects that you were talking about earlier, how do you, what are some of the practices that you try and impart maybe on um, how you actually develop that or practice that skill? Is it, is it just as simple as me sitting here and then counting one, two, three before I respond? Or are there other cues or other ways for, for me to be thinking about that um, while, I'm, while I'm doing it? Certainly, I, I would say uh, one, one way to do it is to do specifically what you just said, which is to count off, right? To, to mentally count off and see how long you can, you can last before, uh, before one of you. People hate a vacuum, right? When, when, when people start talking, it's because they're, they're either anxious or nervous uh, because they're silence and they feel like they're supposed to be filling it in. But that's, from a client standpoint, that's where it can be really, really powerful. The, the other thing I'd say is what I love about improvisation from a, from a, a straight tool or, or mechanic is that when you are practicing some of these games that we learn as improvisers, uh, it is very, your whole responsibility is to listen and respond. So you're, you're, you're not trying to require that a scene go a specific way. If, if, if I walk out and, and I say, I'm a lemon, Gail's listening to the fact that I said I'm a lemon and then might respond with, uh, yes, you are, and how tart you might be. That's right. Well, here in my fruit of the looms, this yeah. is the way. You know, like you, you immediately start to 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 build together, and that comes from at, at its foundation, uh, really, really good listening. Yeah, and to back to Bruce's point about the mental piece, since it's a podcast, you can't see us. So clearly, I would say you definitely don't want to just stare at them blankly <laughs> and start ticking fingers up. Uh, one at a time. That might be uncomfortable. Exactly. Well, yeah. I think eventually it becomes a habit, if you will, mm -hmm. because change has to be practiced and you'll start to feel it internally, what kind of time needs to be there before you can move forward. I wonder if people worry that they'll never get a word in if they wait three seconds or five seconds, because we're uh, all so eager to talk. Yeah, that uh, you, you probably judiciously need to use that, whether it's with a coworker or whether with, it's with a client or a customer. Uh, yeah, it, sometimes it's good. Sometimes you you do need to. Uh, I, I would say more often than not, you're not good at pausing and listening. So it's good to practice and see what happens and, and see where it goes. Yeah, and there's great tools that we teach leadership teams or, or just general teams about if they have a particular client or a coworker that is a heavy talker, if you will, <laughs> that they can actually say something to the effect of, 
may I ask a quick question, even if that means interrupting them, clarifying something that they heard and then using that moment when they have the spotlight to drive into the next question or the next topic that they may be needing to get to. So there's lots of little nuanced ways of doing that. And I think Bruce is right. Most of the time, we're just not, you know, we're not waiting. We're not mm -hmm. waiting, giving enough space, creating that space for, for more dialogue and more information. Yeah, for serving. I mean, really, that's what it comes down to. Well played for Thank serving, you. yeah. <laughs> well, so if I could digress for a second, I guess I'm sitting here thinking, like, why is all this so important in business? Mm -hmm. And I think uh, even Jeff and I, as we're, you know, working on our company, you know, a lot of times we're like, you know what, there's no clear path for what we're trying to do next here. Like we're basically improvising in some cases. So yeah. um, I, I think people who work in larger companies would be surprised to learn just how much we're still trying to figure out even about mature businesses and where we're headed. So I don't know if you have sure. any thoughts or context around that and why it's sure. so important. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that other, you know, one of the core rules, so we talked about listening quite a bit there. Let's Let's jump back to the yes and concept, right? This whole idea of of accepting somebody's uh, somebody's offering and then building upon it. If you think about it in a business context, when when yes and is working and working well, people are are able to support one another in a way that is, hey, you've just come into the room and you have a problem to solve, and yes and I'm going to help you. And that that and construct is really the again, kind of the back to the lemon uh, example where I said, hey, I'm a lemon. Gail couldn't come in and say. You're an orange. Right. She would, she, would be, she would be saying no to what we've started together. And any good collaboration, if you think about it from a team, uh, a team perspective, any good collaboration starts from yes, right? Starts with we're going to build together. And I think to Bruce's point, when he says the yes, and then you build on that, I, we talked about this at, at CamCon. You, you, people say to us all the time, well, sometimes you have to say no. And you're, you're absolutely right, you, you, you do. And we like to think of yes and in business is not only this concept of collaborative innovation and creative spirit of yes, I hear what you're saying and let's do this as well. I think you can also utilize it as a way of just coming from a place of agreement, right? So you say, you know, hey, Gail, can you help me with this report? And if I a, either A, can't help or B, don't want to help or C, maybe I'm not the right person to help, I can say, I see this report is important to you and you need to get it done by this this time, maybe Bruce is a better fit for you and has some time, or I can see you Tuesday at three o'clock. So it's not always saying yes to the thing so much as it is coming from a place of agreement and understanding. Arguably the most powerful word in the English language is no, right? It's two letters mm -hmm. long. It's it's out there and wow, it, does it shut down a room. And and as you mentioned in when we had our, our CamCon meeting, Jay, that 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 you say no in a lot of different ways throughout the day. You say no by saying, but, you know, yes, but I've got this other thing going on. I, I, Gail's example I've always loved, which is, yes, I love you, but can you clean your room, right? Like it, it just, we got kids. We it, got just, kids. Uh, it just negates everything that you just said about, hey, that was really great, but you need to fix these things. And there's interesting data. Again, I'm going to come back to the brain, right? Um, I like this data. The, I like this data. The, well, why don't you talk about the data? Oh, okay. Right. Well, there's really great data to support the fact that when people hear the word no, it takes them little more than 60% longer to get back to efficiency. And so what that means is if 
you're doing something, working on a project, working on a report, you come in and ask you know, someone something, me for instance, and I say, I'd really love to help you, but, or nope, can't do that. It's gonna take you 60% longer to get back to your efficiency. Mm -hmm. So simply by shifting some of the vernacular and the way that we relate with one another in teams can increase efficiency. And ultimately in business, regardless of your size, that's what we want, right? We want great efficiency, great creativity, and high-performing teams. Yeah, and yes, I mean, and if you think about it, when was the last time you ever practiced saying yes to things or practiced listening to things, right? You, you, th these are things that we innately assume that you know how to do, right? You come out of college, you get hired into a job, and go forth and prosper, right? And yet, we all um, struggle and certainly learn these habits over time of just not not supporting well, not understanding how our words have impact. And then, and then, you know, from either we're speaking over each other and we're not listening or we're, we're just fundamentally saying no. One of the, one of the practices we like to do, we encourage people to do is count how many times in a day that you say no. And no is couched as no, yes, but, however, however still. Um, the challenge is, the yeah, problem the is. Yes, that's right. That we say no in a lot of different ways. And so count how many times you do that. And, it, and with children, it'll be on a factor of like <laughs> 10x, man. It'll be crazy if you get <laughs> we, we We are exceptionally good at saying no. Uh, we need to practice saying yes. And actually, just real quick to tag on to that, one of the things we always talk about is how sports teams are amazing and agile and why because they look at their footage all the time they are analyzing their fails and their wins and the percentage of, of execution of actual plays that happen on the field on the court on the ice you know are tiny they're they're very very small and yet they're agile enough because they're such a great practice team that they can spin on a dime and do it you know do something differently in business we don't practice we right. throw you into a one session and say okay go communicate better so good on you <laughs> yeah or, or we give you technical we give you technical training in the product or the solution that you're going to be delivering and right. we don't ever think about the softer side of that yeah and, I'm and like, we, go ahead sorry no, I'm, go ahead, Bruce. I'm sorry. Finish your thought. I was just going to say, if you if you think about how we put our teams together in general, right, it, it often is you're breathing, you're breathing, you're sort of breathing. <laughs> Great. You're a part of a team. Let's go. Right. We don't give we don't give anybody a framework for, for how we can be a better team together. And and we, what we love about improv from a from a, a construct for business is it gives you the language that all of you can speak. And so walking in with the same language, you at least have a starting point that is way ahead of where you're trying to get. Um, when, when you start from scratch. That's all I was going to say. Yeah, and it, that makes complete sense. And it, and it really dovetails into rule number three, which is support your team at all costs. Yep. And, and I, I'm glad you brought up the, this idea of teams because when we think about, so we work with only B2B SaaS companies. That's our, the market we serve, um, customer imperative. But when we think about SaaS companies, we, al we almost think of like the ultimate team sport because mm -hmm. you have engineers, you have product people, you have yeah. salespeople, you have marketing people, you have customer success and support people. And those, the people that it takes to be any one of those things could not be more different in a number of ways. Yep. Uh, think about the difference between, you know, a hardcore engineer and a salesperson, right? Mm -hmm. Yet all those pieces have to work together well to actually make a software company work. And so some of that is process-based, but a lot of it is human interaction. Typically, the further you go up the chain of the organization, the more you know, people have those similar backgrounds, but they have this higher emotional intelligence and can play their role in the field and, and drive yep. that. So 
the, you know, I guess the, the one thing I want to make sure people that are listening to this know is how, how can they engage a team like yours to help provide them training or help give them the tools that they need to be able to do that? Do you work with executive teams or do you work with frontline teams or is it a combination of both? Yeah, it's really up and, up and down the line. Yeah, we work with both. And ultimately, it has to start from the top. If you don't have C-suite or executive leadership buy-in that this investment is going to move the needle, then it makes no sense to, to bring us in, right? Mm -hmm. and, and oftentimes, you know, we, we keep, for us, we keep saying we try to turn soft skills into hard results. And we're, we're realizing more and more that, that it's not trying, it's happening because the data is coming out about emotional intelligence and about um, you know, great communication skills and the ability to, to learn how to be agile um, in, in the workplace. And so it doesn't matter, the, the team doesn't matter. We're industry agnostic because these are skills we all need in business. In your particular case, though, for you know someone in DevOps or engineering versus sales or marketing or even on the customer success side, these folks live sometimes in vacuums and rarely have an opportunity to, to talk to one another. And so opportunities to create cross-functional innovation sessions or cross-functional uh, team performance experiences for them are huge. And we've been able to do that in a couple of different companies. So that's that's been fun. What's yeah, your I, I would just say, you know, a, a good example for us is, you know, imagine, imagine an oil and gas company, they brought us in to, to fix how they went to market with digging holes, essentially just how do they get product up out of the ground, really inefficient, really painful for them. Um, they custom built everything. So supporting it was painful. So they brought in 12 people who most of them didn't know each other, had never worked with each other and said in two days experience. Yes, we would like this team to have a brand new design. And then we want you to help ship it out. So, you know, our goal is to get your brain out of the way, right? Everybody can be creative. Everybody can work a problem in ways that they didn't think they could, but they need the team behind that in order to do it. And so what we did through these interventions and through these, through these mechanics of improv, um, got them to a place that they could begin working together and then facilitated them through that design, a design that they said would save them $40 million over four years. So, so it's not, it's not a small thing to get these people just working differently together. And that's, and, and then having that language, we were able to go in and spot check with them over the course of four months to see how they were doing and continuing to move the, the ball forward. So interesting times. I like that example a lot. The other, the other thing that keeps rattling in my brain too, as we started talking about sports is um, I, I tend to enjoy to watch golf a lot. And hey, I like you a you, lot, whatever, Jeff, have, we just met. I like you a whole bunch. <laughs> there we go. I like to play it and I like to watch it. But the, um, the thing that keeps coming to mind, especially about the four principles that you have is that it's really uh, very harmonious or synonymous with a caddy and a player. So if you start thinking about the the four rules, right, you have to do is, you have to use yes and. Well, as a caddy, if a player says, "Hey, I want to use this club," or "I think it's this distance," or "I want to do this," it's like the golden rule of a caddy, right? You're never supposed to say no. It's say uh, <laughs> you are uh, supposed to gracefully find a way, maybe, to move them off of that club, but it's never a hard no because then it's you're you're kind of building the confidence, right? You can't yep. hurt the confidence of the player because he has to perform in the moment. So yes and uh, applies in that listen. You know, caddy has to listen all the time to the player. Uh, listen to his feels, listen to what distances he thinks it's going, all these different things, and then interpret that in order to uh, give him a better yardage. Uh, you have to uh, you have to then support your team at all costs. And then finally, you have to trust your instincts too. So as a, a lot of the caddies that you start uh, hearing about on the PGA Tour are players themselves, and they have instincts that happen. So mm -hmm. as, you, as we started talking to these four uh, 
in, or four principles that you guys always teach and go through, I could not help but just draw the parallel right into like, man, this is such a, uh, a relationship like a caddy. And I think at the, the other thing that really resonated with me is you guys started talking about this. And uh, this is something that, you know, I think since Jay and I have really started to try and build and work on customer imperative together that he preaches all the time is just this servant leadership. You know, there, there is a type of leadership where um, you are working for the person uh, that you have brought into your company, not the other way around. They're not working for you. Right. And so I think that's also kind of inherently built into the principles um, that you guys have outlined here. But what, what would you say as you look across those four principles we talked about? Um, I don't want to say like, what's the most important one, but what do you, what, which one do you maybe think as you walk into teams most often is like the hardest for them to grasp or the biggest hurdle for them to get over out of the four principles? Um, if you had to narrow it down to one and only one choice. So Bruce, <laughs> don't try and give me two. Gail, don't try and give me three. It's gotta be one. Uh, why was I the one with more? That's so unfair. Accurate. That's so unfair. Uh, You're the seat. Go ahead. I was gonna say you were the CEO, so I was giving you. I was giving you. <laughs> yeah, the, the, I mean, uh, I'm gonna have to put him on a performance improvement plan after this call. I've been so. on those a lot. There's Let's a lot of tips. Let's go. Uh, what's interesting is we've been married 24 years uh, together, 29, and uh, oftentimes we'll say the same thing. We'll see if our answer is the same. Should we say it at the same time? Okay. All right. So I think it's yes, yes and. and. Oh, it just happened. That's so yeah. cool. <laughs> That's, you know, and, and I think the concept yes and really speaks, it, all of the other things are, are there supporting this, this framework of yes and, right? I have to listen in order to say yes and. I have to support my teammate at all costs if, to, to say yes and. I have to trust my instincts to say yes and. So all of those, I think, bubble up to that one, uh, that one core piece. I want to head back to the caddy story real quick. The idea about when a caddy pulls out a club, and let me just tell you, I don't play golf. I don't watch golf. I'm married to a golfer. The idea that a caddy says to you, you know, you, you as a player, you might say, well, I'm going to use a four iron. four iron on this play. And as a caddy, I maybe see something right uh, on the green. Would it be the green? Yeah. I see something on the green that like maybe the player doesn't see. Right. And so I'm going to say, I hear that you want to use a four iron, four iron mm -hmm. and I think you should use a five iron because of blankety blank, blank, blank. Right. So that's how you do it a golfer hears that the caddy is right there with him and maybe the golfer did not see thus and such that was sitting on the green and now has a little bit more of an understanding of that so i really like that uh, there's like also a, a really comparison. interesting thing that, that you might appreciate jeff that um we actually wrote about it on our blog just a couple weeks ago there's a there's a study that came out recently oh, that, yeah. that took a look at um elite figure skaters so it actually studied elite figure skaters and ran them through three months of improv um, to see whether they would increase their scores. And what they found was uh, one person went up, if you figure that this is a, a sport of micro inches, right? It is, it is really just tiny fractions that go into this. Um, one, one, they did uh, 10 uh, figure skaters. W one figure skater went up by uh, as much as 10% from the beginning to the end, which is a phenomenal shift. 75% uh, of them all saw increases in their performances, their total score performance. I mean, what? That's huge. Um, that's fine. So if your listeners, if you have any listeners that are um, somehow if affiliated with a uh, professional sports or college sports, let us know because we would like to do the same kind of uh, study with Yeah, uh, we want to change stats. Yeah, that's right, man. Let's let's go work <laughs> with a pro sports team like the Broncos, which is painful oh, to watch right please, now. please, God help us. Um, Just and, God help uh, us. And, and see if we can move the needle by uh, by making their team perform better with all the shared language being the same. It seems to make well, sense. I'd be, yeah, no, it does. And I'd be remiss uh, to not mention uh, a, f a friend of mine, Brandon Miller, who 
uh, I used to work with at a company here in Charleston called Levelwing, and he actually went and started taking improv. Uh, it must have been right after he had started at Levelwing, and um, he talks all the time about how it, it, it's improved a lot of a lot of skills in life for him. You know, especially yeah. you know, in situations where we're client facing. You know, right? He's in front of, of, of clients all the time, and uh, taking some of those principles, especially you know, being able to adjust and move on the fly, and just being okay with the situation that's at hand. Like you said, Bruce, kind of the the situation that's yeah. created for itself. Uh, I certainly saw him adopt some of those principles. So I think right now you have uh, you have me thinking about how Jay and I, I might be enrolling Jay and I in some improv classes here in like Q1 as yes. a uh, sec- yes, executive and exercise. Should. Yes. <laughs> yes, and you should. We'll, yeah, fly, we'll fly out to Colorado to take them as well. Hey, we'll, we'll give them. <laughs> we'll yeah. give them. In our house, which is not creepy at all. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe a little creepy. We have three dogs though. That would be a little wackadoo. <laughs> all right. Well, so we want to be respectful of your time, but there's two things that I want to just finish up with here. So one, tell us a little bit about your book, Brain Disruption, Radical Innovation uh, in Business Through Improv. Sure. Oh, well, to start with, we're working on the second iteration of that, which oh, is cool. super exciting. Um, we, <laughs> you want to talk about still being married after doing a business together? When you write a book together, holy hell. It's as bad as changing a toilet, if Ser- not worse. Oh, it is I think it might bad. be worse. It's I terrible. can only we, imagine. We have, terrib- we have totally different writing techniques and styles. He likes the 4am experience. No, thank you. Even though I'm a morning person, I'm very like tactile, touchy feely. And he's obviously, we talked about it a little more nerdy. Mm -hmm. So I think even as you read our book, Jay, you're going to see like, Oh, there's Gail. Oh, there's Bruce. Um, it was really fun to write. And I, and I think, and I stand behind Bruce when I say the only way for us as a soft skills company is to show hard results. And so writing that book uh, was an inspiration based on a dissertation that Bruce had read about jazz improvisers and how this really cool doc had thrown jazz improvisers into an fMRI and looked at their brains and said, okay, improvise, don't improvise. And when they improvised, their brains totally changed and they were able to open up all these different neural pathways. And so for Bruce, he kind of made the leap that that's got to happen in improv too. Uh, and I'm going to let you take it from here because you're part of a new study yeah. that's being proved out. We're hoping we're crossing fingers to, uh, to show that in comedians as well. Yeah. So, so the, the, I mean, Gail's right. The, the seminal stages for that, that book started there and then, and then just went on just because of the importance for us to to prove it out, and and there actually in the book you'll find, you'll see it, Jay, that there's a there's a 30 days to using some of those tools that you can practice with daily um, that give you kind of a Monday through Friday approach to uh, to help change your brain and change how it works. Um, that researcher, his name is Charles Lim, um, L I M B, really fascinating guy. Google him. He's done. He's got a great TED talk. Uh, he did something with Ben Folds on the nat with uh, in the, on the the stage of the National Symphony Orchestra at the Kennedy Center. Really great guy. Um, He actually, we got in contact with him and he invited us to participate in a study of comedic improvisers. So they're right now looking at the brains. We went out to to San Francisco a year ago. They're looking at the brains of of comedic improvisers to find out what happens uh, when we improvise versus when we do memorized acts. Very similar to to what happened with the the jazz improvisers. um, Charles, I don't know if you saw it. Charles just posted on Facebook uh, a picture of him and Colin Mockery, um, who's the guy from uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Is one of the the four kind of main players in Whose Line Is It Anyway? Um, Because they studied Colin's brain at the same time. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. They studied his brain and your brain? I know, and they look exactly the same. What is happening? (laughs) My husband's brain might be 
That's a claim to fame for sure. That's right. Totally name dropped. I just name dropped that. Man, that is that is. I was gonna ask. I mean, Jeff Jeff's too young to know who Ben Folds is. I think, but that is just rude. Not a little jealous. Is that's right. Oh, that's ages. Oh, okay. That's ages. Jeff's dad told him who Ben Folds was. Evidently, so. it's a really nice introduction to the concepts and the principles that we've been talking about yeah. and does have some practical activities that are in there. You know, it, it, certainly one of our hard and fast rules is you can't read a book or go to a session and suddenly have these skills mastered. We tell everyone we practice improv. It sounds like an oxymoron. What we're practicing are those rules. Mm -hmm. And so the book is a really nice intro to that. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to digging into it and, and I'll make sure Jeff does too. So we can both practice transient hyperfrontality together. Whoa, oh, look at you go. Whoa. That just happened. Mic drop. <laughs> okay. So how can folks get in touch with you if they would like to contact you guys? Sure. They can go to our website, www.experienceyes.com. Uh, if they're interested in the book, they can find that there. They can also go to braindisruption.com. We've got that URL. Um, all of our contact info, Bruce at experienceyes.com, Gail at experienceyes.com is all out there. And um, feel free to reach out. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Guys, thank you so much. What a, what a fantastic discussion and looking forward to following you guys and seeing how things continue to go for Experience Yes. And and I'm sure we'll be uh, crossing paths, hopefully many times in the years to come. Good. We we'll look oh, forward to it. Thanks for the so. time. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Jeff. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.